Thanks, Bev. Good to have that reading before us. We're going to uh, be looking at that passage. So if you can keep that open. In fact, we're going to look across uh, from chapters 14 to 16 today, sort of all together. Um, so if you can keep your Bibles open, we'll be doing a little Bible gymnastics today. Um, so I'd, I'd value you having your Bibles open. That'll be helpful. Uh, we're looking today at uh, the next part of our series. So I told you uh, last week that I was preaching for three weeks in a row. These, uh, these messages happen in between the end of the Lord's Supper and when Jesus leaves the room. Okay, And so there's a sense in which uh, Jesus is standing at the door about to leave the upper room. I'm sure it looked exactly like that with a uh, metal fire uh, exit. Uh, he's standing at the door and he told them last week about the Father and the Son. We're going to see this week about the Son and the Spirit. And next week we're going to see about the Son and believers. And it appears that each of these messages, sort of as I said last week, is literally they're going out the door. And Jesus says, just before we go got one more thing to tell you. So this week we're looking at uh, the relationship between the Son and the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit. It's worth saying uh, the Holy Spirit uh, is a person, a topic uh, that can be quite uh, interesting. You may have thought about him before and his work. Uh, you may have questions. I'm going to uh, open a time of uh, questions at the end of my sermon. So if you've got a question on the way through, jot it down. And uh, we might be able to take a couple of questions from the floor. Uh, let me ask that uh, the Holy Spirit might help us uh, as we dive in. Heavenly Father, thank you for the word read. Thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit. We pray that he would indeed unpack this word, convict our hearts and change us so that we might live in ways that are pleasing for you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Alrighty. Well, here's, here's where our, our message starts, or at least where... The intrigue in our message starts this week. In John chapter 14, verse 28, uh, Jesus says these words, You heard me say, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I think at some level, if we're thinking at a big picture as Christians sitting here this morning, you go, sure. We're perfectly happy that Jesus has to go away. However, I think if we put ourselves in the disciples' shoes, uh, this really is quite a terrifying statement. Uh, there's a profound sense in which this is not what they would be looking for. I think we need to ask ourselves the question, how can this be good news? Uh, if you're a disciple, you've been following Jesus for three years. Uh, in, in Peter, James and John's case, you left your nets your livelihood on the side of the shore and said, I'm with that bloke. And you started following him and you've been following him for three years. We're now in Jerusalem. It's looking politically difficult to be a friend of Jesus because the religious leaders hate him. And he's standing at the door as they're about to go out, having told some of them that one of you will betray me. And he's saying, by the way, I'm about to leave you. Now, we should feel the angst of the disciples at that point. It would not be cool to be thinking that we're about to be abandoned by Jesus at this point. Okay? And so I think when Jesus says here, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, we have to ask the question, how on earth can that be good news? How on earth can it be good news that Jesus is departing? 
Well, I think this is how they probably feel at this point. Has anyone seen Paddington? Forget that. Has anyone read the books? Yeah, right. Okay, I see some hands at the back. Seriously, the rest of you have missed out on Paddington Bear? Is that for real? Or you just can't be bothered putting up your hands on Sunday morning? You literally, no, no marmalade sandwiches, you don't have a clue. All right, all right, get into it. It's good stuff, really good. Here's, here's Paddington Bear. Paddington Bear has, uh, has, has lost his family and uh, he's sitting in the station um, in the middle of London having come from deep, deepest, darkest Peru. He's all on his own, right? I think this sense of abandonment, which would work perfectly if you understood Paddington and very averagely if you don't, uh, this sense of abandonment is actually excellent. It gets us in the right, gets us in the right, uh, the, the right mood. Um, the, the sense is we're being orphaned. You're abandoning us. You're leaving us. We're without hope in the world. And I want you to hear what Jesus says to his disciples. Come back a little bit in chapter 15 and uh, have a listen to these words. If you love me, Jesus says in verse 15, keep my commands and I will ask the Father. He'll give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. So Jesus has a profound word of hope for orphans. He says, I will send to you another advocate. Who's their advocate been up till now? Just think of yourself in Sunday school. What's the answer? The answer is always Jesus. Did you guys skip Sunday school as well? Miss Paddington Bear and Sunday school. The answer in, 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 uh, the answer in Sunday school is always Jesus. Whatever the question, would you like to have morning tea? Jesus. Uh, who is at the right hand of the Father? Jesus. It's always Jesus, okay? So, so who was the other advocate? The advocate they had right now, the one who was their helper, their comforter, their consoler, their counsellor was Jesus. He says, I'm going, but I'm going to send to you another advocate, another counsellor. You won't be on your own. In other words, what Jesus is saying is my personal pre- presence will be with you. He says, I will come to you. I will not leave you on your own. That's tremendously encouraging. And better than that, can you see how long this one will be there? It says that uh, he will be with them forever. And so there's an encouragement here. Another advocate will come. The person of Jesus will never leave them, and it will be forever. That's a pretty good start for those who are afraid of being abandoned. Uh, Have you ever had your uh, mobile phone drop out of reception? Oh, look at that. No Sunday school appealing to me, but mobile phones, we're onto it. We're with it. You've had that experience. Have you ever gone overseas and uh, had that thing, oh, this thing just becomes a very expensive piece of silicon because I don't have any reception here? Or the, the even worse thing, I guess, which is it works, but it doesn't have data roaming on. It's costing you about $300 a second. Have you had that experience as well? Anyway, the, the idea is it's possible to go from where I'm at home to somewhere where I'm out of reception right? I can be taken away from where I'm comfortable, from where I can get back to base. I think the exciting thing about the coming of the Holy Spirit is this. 
global roaming. The idea of the Holy Spirit coming is uh, Jesus is finite, right? He can only ever be with as many people as can be around him. But if he's in Galilee and you're in Jerusalem, are you with Jesus? The answer there is no. No, you're not. Because he's physically up there in Galilee, right? So, so how can it be that Jesus says he'll be with his disciples if he's going to leave them? Well, what he says is, I'm going to send you my Holy Spirit. He will be in the hearts of everyone who calls me Lord. You will never be alone. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you, Jesus says. So what he's done essentially is pop a satellite up and, and now we've got global roaming. There'll always be reception. So in, uh, in, in Matthew 28, he says, go into all the world and make disciples, yeah? And he says, surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So what's better about Jesus' departure? Well, there'll be better reception. You'll always have Jesus' ear because he'll be as far away as your heartbeat. Better reception. Better quality as well. Better quality. Have a listen to this. We're going to do a little bit of uh, history in the Bible, okay? So here's my Bible timeline. Hopefully you're getting a little bit familiar with this. These pictures on that side of the Old Testament. These pictures of the New Testament. We have this present age which goes from the fall all the way through to the judgment just before the, the new creation. And with Jesus coming, we've seen the inbreaking of the age to come. We live here before the return of Jesus and the new creation. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was around. Did you know this? It wasn't invented for the New Testament. It wasn't an upgrade to God. The Holy Spirit was around and he was working. What he would do is he would come on people for a particular purpose. So the spirit of prophecy might come on someone and they could prophesy. Or God's anointing might come on someone so that they could be his king. Do you remember what happens to King Saul when he does the wrong thing? When he disobeys, the Holy Spirit is taken from him. And God's anointing is on David for kingship. Holy Spirit comes on people. And so that's why in Psalm 51, David cries out, Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Can you see this? So in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit comes on people for a particular purpose. The wonderful thing that we see in the New Testament is that he will be in you to bring Jesus' presence to you. He will be in you a permanent presence. And so it's the joy of the Christian not to have to pray, although we do a lot, can I just say, God, would you be with us? Do we, do we pray that prayer? Some of us, yes. So we go, God, we ask that you be with us this morning. Well, here's the thing, okay? Where is the Holy Spirit dwelling? In the hearts of all believers who trust in Jesus. Are there places where he departs from your heart? Well, the answer to that is no. He takes up residence. In fact, elsewhere it says he's a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. He's not a very good deposit or guarantee if he comes and goes, is he? The answer is no. No, he's not a very good deposit. Okay, very good. Okay, great. So he's not a very good guarantee if he comes and goes. So when we say, Lord, be with us today, okay, it's not like he's not going to be. 
I think what we want to say is, Lord, work through us, use us, by your Holy Spirit, empower us. Let's hear that prayer. But we don't need to go, Lord, if you're okay, could you be with us today? He made that decision when you placed him as Lord in your heart. Make sense? Great. Well, that's, that's good news already, isn't it? All right. Well, who will send this Holy Spirit? Uh, this is pretty interesting. I want you to note who will send him. Note the pronoun. It's not it. It will not be sent. He will be sent. What's the difference? I could send it to you if I was talking about the TV. But if I'm talking about my daughter, I don't say, I'll send it to you. That won't work, will it? Because of the personality involved, we must give a personal pronoun. Well, we're doing English as well at the same time, aren't we? Anyway, the point here is, do not go to it language for the Holy Spirit. He's a he. A personal presence of God with us. Yep, great. Who will send him? Well, on the one hand, we have the Father. On the other hand, we have the Son. Now, I want you to have a look with me. So open your Bibles. We're going to have a look and see who is sending the Holy Spirit. Have a look with me at John 14, 16. John 14, 16. It says here, I will ask the Father. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Can you see that? So who's sending him? Well, the Father here. At the same time, I want you to see whose prayer is it that's being answered so that he'd come? Jesus, right? I'll ask the Father who'll send him. So will he come if he doesn't ask the Father? Well, I don't know. That, that's an interesting question. But the point is, his sending involves the Son and the Father. All right. Let's have a look at another instance. Have a look at 1426. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Okay, who sends the Son? Uh, who sends the Spirit? The Father here, doesn't he? But the Father will send him in whose name? Okay, all right, I'll put that up on the other side as well, okay? So the Father will send the Spirit in Jesus' name. How amazing. Let's have a look at 1526. 1526. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. So, <laughs> who sent him here? Well, here it says, Jesus is saying, I will send to you from the Father. But then it also says that he goes out from the Father. <laughs> so, who's sending him here? Jesus and Okay, you're catching on. All right. Here's, here's one where it's very clear who's sending him. Have a look at uh, chapter 16, verse 7. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good. See here, Jesus saying it again. It's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Who's sending him? Okay, great. The answer is always Jesus, isn't it? That's great. Okay, so here we go. What do I want you to see here? It's very, very important to see who's involved in sending the Spirit. Well, I want to say the Spirit is sent by the Father and the Son. Seems inevitable, doesn't it? We actually have both of them explicitly named as sending the Spirit. And then even when they're talking about individuals sending the Spirit, almost inevitably they're mentioning the other. The coming of the Spirit is a work of the Father and the Son. All right, well, when he comes, 
What does he do? Now, I don't know if you've had any uh, experience of the work of the Holy Spirit. Hopefully, you've had lots of experience of the work of the Holy Spirit. What is it that this advocate will do when he comes? I'm going to suggest it's at least six things. At least six things. All right, let's have a look at the first one. The first one that the, uh, the advocate who comes will do is this. Have a look with me at 14, chapter 14, uh, verses 15 to 20. If you love me, keep my commands. You're going to hear these passages a bit, but I want you to get them from different directions, okay? Uh, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Verse 20, on that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. The, the profound thing that the work of the Holy Spirit will do is he will mediate the personal comfort of the Son. That's a bit odd, isn't it? It's probably overly wordy. Uh, he will help you know, experience, and understand the love of the Son. You will be able to experience the love of Jesus in your heart because the person of the Holy Spirit will come to you. That's a pretty good start. The second thing is this. Have a look with me at 14.26. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Isn't this brilliant? What's his job? His job is to teach us. His job is to teach us and remind the disciples of Jesus' words. Incidentally, this is one of the reasons we have great confidence in the Scripture being exactly the words that God wants. Because you might think to yourself, I'm not sure how anyone remembers what Jesus said, right? He said so much stuff. How will we ever remember? Well, guess what? There's a supernatural helper whose job was to remind and teach the disciples again what Jesus had said. That's pretty encouraging, isn't it? So our scripture is God-breathed, that's what we say, yeah? What it means is that the Holy Spirit has helped to write it. So the Holy Spirit's job is to teach and remind the disciples of Jesus' words. Uh, incidentally, I love this part of the Spirit's work. Uh, when you memorize scripture, which is an old-fashioned thing, because we've all got it on our phones now, so we don't need to remember it. I think the only problem with having it on our phones is it's definitely there and it's accessible, but you won't know what to look for unless you remember it. When we put the scriptures on our hearts, when we memorize it, here's what happens. I'm walking along or I'm thinking of something and a scripture will be prompted to me by the Holy Spirit. He'll, he'll remind me of a scripture and I'll go, oh, that's really helpful. And maybe I'm praying with someone and I pray that scripture for them. Or maybe I'm talking to someone and I give them that piece of wisdom that comes from God's word. Did I remember it? Maybe I, maybe I did. But the point is the Holy Spirit has prompted me. He's helped me to bring the word of God to bear on the situation at hand. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. He'll teach and remind Jesus' disciples. The third thing he'll do has to do with one of these things. Anyone recognize what it is? Gavel. For what? Not pounding chicken flat. It's for, uh, for making judgment and ruling and justice and all those sorts of things, yes? I think they've got a spiky end for the chicken flattening one, don't they? Yes, anyway. Uh, here we go. Uh, 16, 8 to 10. Have a listen to this. It's a little confusing, so we're going to unpack it. Uh, John chapter 16, verses 8 to 10. Uh, when he comes... 
He will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you'll see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. What will the Holy Spirit do? Well, he's going to convict the world of the Son's work. Let me explain what's going on. The Holy Spirit is going to show the world it's wrong about sin because they don't believe in Jesus. What it means is the Holy Spirit's work will cause people to abandon their own definition of sin. So that's what happens with the world around us. The reason that a whole bunch of people are here, aren't here this morning repenting of their sins is because they figure they're probably doing all right. Yeah? They've, they've created their own definition of what's sinful. I'm not as bad as that bloke, and I've got good reasons why I did that thing, and so I'm probably okay. And what the Holy Spirit does, he comes and tells you there's a holy standard and you're wrong. Second thing that the Holy Spirit will do is he'll show that the world is wrong about righteousness because Jesus is going to the Father. What does that mean? I think the people around Jesus, the religious leaders around Jesus, had decided that they were right. They needed to protect the people from this Galilean who was teaching the wrong thing. We're right. We offer our sacrifices in the temple. We put lots of money in the kitty. We must be doing the things that please God. They were religiously righteous, but they weren't right in their hearts. They were self-righteous at some level. And so what the Holy Spirit will do is he'll cause us to abandon our own religious means of righteousness. He'll say, guess what? You need to get right with God, not right in your own mind. Last thing he's going to do is he's going to say that the world is wrong about judgment because the prince of this world is condemned. What does that mean? That the world will abandon their own broken standards of what's acceptable. Gee, we'd love to see that happen, wouldn't we? Increasingly, our world, under the prince of this world, is changing all standards, saying that things that were previously clearly wrong are right, that those who don't affirm what is now right are wrong. And the amazing thing we need to remember is that one day, the prince of this world will be shown to be condemned, even as he is now. That's what the Holy Spirit will do. It teaches us that we're wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Gee, we need it. Gee, we need it. Here's the fourth thing that he'll do. Does anyone know what that little yellow dot does? If it's on a plane, that little dot there that you press will blow the canopy off so you can get out if there's an emergency. But if you had a little yellow dot that big, okay, and you were looking for it, it would be very hard, wouldn't it? We need a big sign to say, if you want to be rescued, go here. Press that button there. If you press that button, you'll be saved. The job of the sign is to point to the rescue. Okay? That's exactly the Holy Spirit's work in verses 13 to 14. Have a look. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not only speak on his own, he will speak of what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he makes known to you. The job of the spirit is to glorify the son by guiding and revealing the truth about him. So what does the Spirit want to do? Honour the Son. How will he honour the Son? By helping us to see there's salvation and hope in the Son. So fourth thing is, he'll glorify the Son. Fifth thing, I love this. Uh, Lots of power there. 
I'm not a surfer, by the way. I just look at that and go, I drown. But, but somebody's able to harness that power and do something cool, right? I'd be sitting there thinking, I'm going to get squashed. I'm going to lose all the air in my lungs. It's not going to be very fun. But when you're on the wave and you've got it, this power is actually useful for you and can be turned to glorious ends. Yeah? Awesome. I think that's a great demonstration of the Holy Spirit. Have a look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Love this passage. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's on page 1151. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verses 4 to 7 on page 1151. Here's what it says. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Here's the wonderful work of the Spirit. He'll empower the gifts of edification. Gee, I've just gone too hard on my wording today. What it means is he'll give energy for those gifts that build others up. And it could be healing, could be speaking in tongues, could be prophecy, it could be service, it could be any number of gifts, but what it will be is to build others up. That's how you'll recognize the work of the Holy Spirit. If it's making someone into a superstar, guess what? Probably not the work of the Spirit. If it's honoring Jesus and empowering service, you will see the ministry of the Holy Spirit at work. The joy of that is that God has said he'll place his spirit in our hearts to comfort us and to empower us for service. Brilliant. What else will he do? This is the sixth one, and I love this one. Uh, In 1 Peter, uh, on page 1220, 1 Peter 1, says this. Peter opens his letter this way. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. What have I got a picture of there? Somebody else's car getting washed, not mine. Somebody else's car getting washed, right? What's his job? To sanctify, to make clean. His job is to give us comfort, His job is to empower us for service. His job is to make us clean, to sanctify us. After all, his job is to sanctify the saved sons and daughters. And and after all, he is the Holy Spirit. So what does he want to do? He wants to make you holy. The Holy Spirit wants to make you holy, sanctify you on the inside. Well, how should this help us to view God differently? Uh, When we know that the Holy Spirit is the presence of God with us, we have to start thinking of what does that do to our understanding of God? What the Bible says is that we understand God. We meet God in Trinity as he saves us. God in Trinity. Right, everyone's mind ready to be blown. Here we go. Let's do a little bit of history for just one second. A guy called Tertullian, who lived in, uh, from 155 to 240 AD, he said this, God is three persons, one substance. Gave us that language for the first time. Three persons, one substance. There's a unity in God. Which, what that means for us is we're not tritheists. We don't have three gods. Okay, good. Here's another bloke who helps us out, a guy called Gregory of Nazianzus. I love this quote. Absolutely love it. He says, when I say God, I mean Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When I say God, 
I mean Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Can I say this will transform every God conversation you have, if you can remember this. Every God conversation. Oh, we believe in the same God, don't we? If your next line can be, when I say God, I mean Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we'll know very quickly whether we have the same God, won't we? When I say God, I mean Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What he's saying here is there is a distinction of persons. They're united as one, but they're distinct as persons. What that will save us from, a thing called modalism, which means that there's one God with three masks. In the Old Testament, he was the creator. And then he put on the mask of being the son. And then he went to heaven, and now he's the Holy Spirit. See, one God is putting on different masks. That's not at all what the Bible says. He is always Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Always Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay, that was all easy, wasn't it? We can relax from here. What, what do our creeds tell us? What do our creeds tell us? The Apostles' Creed tells us that Jesus had a role in the conception of the Son and that he's to be believed in. The Nicene Creed, where the Holy Spirit was up for debate, 300, 325. Here's the things that we learn from this. When we say this creed, we see that he has a role in the conception of the Son, that he's the giver of life, that he proceeds from the Father and the Son. Hey, we've got that sorted out now that he is worthy of worship and glory, and that he has spoken through the prophets. There's a lot we can say about the person of the Holy Spirit, and we often do in our creeds. All right, this is the bit that you're really waiting for. How should I live differently? All right, great. You've done a bit of history. You've done a bit of theology. What are we going to do with this, right? I love why Jesus wants to tell them about the person of his Holy Spirit coming. Have a look at 16.1-3 with me, way back in John. Here's what he says. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they're offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. Jesus says something terrible is about to happen. Here's what I want you to know. Here's what I want you to know. Three things. I want you to know that I leave with you love. I leave love with you. I leave joy with you and I leave peace with you. Love joy and peace. The mark of the Holy Spirit will be a love for God and for others. The mark of the work of the Holy Spirit will be an inner joy. Guys, you can't fake this. This is not happiness. This is not the car park miracle of putting a smile on when you get out of the car park at church and walk into the building so you're always having a good time. That is not what's happening. This is a deep and abiding joy that comes from the presence of Jesus. With that joy will come a peace, a peace that passes all understanding that will guard your heart and your mind. He will leave peace in your heart. Those gifts are incredibly precious, incredibly precious. They also happen to be the first three fruits of the Spirit. Did you see that? Love, joy, peace. How brilliant is that? So what do we see? Well, if he brings comfort to us, we can know he brings Jesus to us. He will bring revelation to us. He will teach us the truth. He'll bring conviction to us. He'll blow away our false standards and our false judgment. He will bring praise to the Son, stirring it up in our hearts. He will bring a heart of service to God and to the church, and he'll give the power to do that. He will bring personal transformation as he sanctifies us more and more. These four honour the Son. 
These two transform the personal life. The last work of the Holy Spirit, I think, wraps it all together. It's this. If the Spirit of the Father and the Son is in my heart and yours, we are profoundly united. We are profoundly united. Africa, South America, Japan, Russia, Iraq, Syria, we are profoundly united with everyone who has that same spirit in their heart. He will bring unity to the body of Christ. All right, let's cut to the chase. No spirit, no son. You're all on your own. You got nothing. He's in heaven. You want to know the personal presence of God, you need the spirit of God. Know the spirit and you will know and experience the love of the son. I'm going to stop there and see if it's possible that there are any questions. I would imagine your brains would just need to kind of catch up with the freight train that's just been delivered, but you might have a question. Uh, ask away, Ellie. Yes. Oh, that's really good. That's a really good question. Can we pray to the Spirit? Uh, you could pray to the Holy Spirit. Um, how does Jesus teach us to pray when he teaches us to pray? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. I don't think any other prayers are ruled out though. Jesus actually says in this passage, you can ask in my name. You're actually my friends. I don't call you merely disciples or servants. I call you my friends. We can absolutely call on the Father. We can call on the Son. And if you want to say, come Holy Spirit, no problems at all. I can't think of a particular example where that prayer is modelled in that way in the, in the New Testament, but I'd, I'd have no problems. Um, what I'll often do, if I'm meeting with someone and I see that they're in distress, I'll say, Heavenly Father, would you send your spirit to bring peace to this person? Or if I'm listening to someone and I don't understand them, I'll say, as I'm, as I'm listening, I'll just say, Holy Spirit, can you show me what's going on here? Give me insight. Grant me compassion. Give me patience. I think we're able to pray to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus models it for us and tells us to pray to the Father in the name of the Son through the Spirit, but I've no problems with that at all. Someone else? Question? Yeah, Ross. Yeah, that's good. Uh, so is there a danger with using analogies to describe, this, to describe the, the Trinity? Can I say every single analogy fails? Every analogy fails. The most famous one is the, um, the, uh, the three-leaf clover, yeah? So the different leaves of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One clover, three leaves. Here's the thing. Each of those leaves is not a clover. It's only a leaf of a clover, isn't it? Do you see that? So it actually can't be. You're actually robbing the divinity of each of the persons of the Trinity, and you're actually saying they're only a component of God. Do you see that? So that one's broken. The relational ones, like uh, father, uncle, son, or whatever, uh, have the, they get the relational aspect right, but the uncle is not the father, is it? And there's no way in which the uncle is in the father and the father is in the son, 
they're, they're profoundly different. So we get the relational aspect, we elevate the relational, but we rob it of the unity. C- can you see this? I want to encourage you, if there was a good analogy for the Holy Spirit and the Trinity, okay, it would be in the Bible. Bear with me on this. I've thought about this. I used to go with water being ice and then liquid and then steam, okay? And, and that has something to commend it, but it's not relational. It's, it's a substance. And so in what way is the ice the same as steam relating? It, there's no relationship at all. It's, it's an object, right? But then when we go to the object stuff, we miss the unity that the water one gives us. I, I just want to say, hands down, take it to the bank. There is no analogy that works without heresy, none. And so what we're left with is what we did today. Do the hard work in the text. What do we see? We see God who reveals himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who has a unity of purpose and a distinction of persons. And if it fries your brain, let it. Okay? And praise him, which is what he wants. He wants us to honour him. And so I think when we come to the point where we go, I'm not sure I understand that well, fall on your knees in prayer rather than pull your hair out and go, I want a better analogy. Someone else? One more? Yeah, go, yeah. Yeah, good question. What do I say to a Christian who believes in God but doesn't believe in the Trinity? Um, I, I guess when they, when they said they didn't believe in the Trinity, I'd want to kind of unpack that a little bit. Um, my, my response would be, let's read the Bible together. I don't, I don't want to hit you on the head with theology. I don't want to, because here's the thing. Wonderfully, if we believe this is true about God, his word and the ministry of the Holy Spirit will want to reveal the truth about God. So let's read about God in his word and let his Holy Spirit do the work. Does that make sense? So rather than me going, gee, you're a scumbag, I'm going to kick you out, I'd say, no, brilliant. Let's start, I assume you believe in God somewhere, right? Let's start there. Let's see how God reveals himself to be in his word. Now this morning, there's enough information there, isn't there? It's overwhelming. We we didn't even unpack all of it. What I want you to see, though, is how precious these chapters in John are. They teach us about the relational unity of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And so my, 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 my suggestion would be, let's read John 14, 15, and 16 together and ask the Holy Spirit to teach us some more about what God's really like. Does, does that sound all right? And, and if at the end, here's the thing, at the end we often want to win. Right? I want to show you that this is right. And I want you to know God is like that. That's who he is because that's who he's showing himself. If you don't believe it, that's okay. I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. I'd love you to know him as he is, but I didn't lose if you didn't get it. Do, do you understand? So I think we just need to chill out a little bit and love people and say, here's God as he reveals himself. Take him or leave him. Does that sound all right? Now, I'm sure you have other questions and you'll think of other things. Can I encourage you, if you've got one that you didn't ask, why don't we use our Care and Connect cards now and um, we'll take them out. They look like this. If you can take your Care and Connect cards out, that'd be great. If you've got a question that I didn't answer today um, and that maybe you thought actually on a more private level you would prefer to ask me, um, I'd love you to write it down on the card. That'd be great. Uh, Can I get everyone to get one of those out and at least put your name on it? That'd be really helpful for us uh, if we can do that. As we're doing that, if the band could come up, that would be super helpful. Thank you.